Welcome to Building Bridges, ACMCU's premier podcast, where we discuss, debate, and examine contemporary issues facing Muslim-Christian relations in the United States and abroad. I'm your host, Andrew Condon, Digital Communications Manager for ACMCU. The Center for Muslim-Christian Understanding was founded in 1993 at Georgetown University with a mission to improve relations between the Muslim world and the West, building bridges of understanding between Islam and Christianity. In this program, we will speak to experts, faith leaders, authors, and influencers about how their work is shaping the discourse and fostering interfaith dialogue within their respective communities. On this episode of Building Bridges, we are joined by Father Thomas Michel, Vice President for Academic Affairs for the newly opened Xavier Learning Community in Chiang Rai, Thailand. Father Michel gave a talk last year at ACMCU on the topic of Muslims and Christians in Thailand, the Jesuit mission in Thailand, and the Asian Muslim Action Network. Father Michel, thank you so much for coming on to talk with us here on Building Bridges. And we just had you recently give a presentation here at ACMCU at Georgetown. But before we get into the work that you're doing in Thailand and the work that you're doing within your community, if you could give our listeners a brief background of how you got started in the work that you're doing and how you became a part of the Jesuit order. Well, I was ordained a diocesan priest in 1967, and that was for the Archdiocese of St. Louis, and I was working there. This was uh, at the time of the Second Vatican Council, and my bishop got a request from a bishop in Indonesia for somebody to go there and teach English in a teacher's college that was there and also the, the major seminary. And so my bishop asked me if I would be interested, and so in 1969 I went to Indonesia, and shortly thereafter uh, I joined the Jesuits because I wanted to I loved it in Indonesia, and I wanted to stay there, and the Jesuits were working there, so I joined the Jesuits. So I did that for a number of years uh, until the uh, Jesuits decided to send me on for further studies, so I did Arabic and Islamic studies, uh, mainly in uh, Lebanon and Egypt, and I finished at University of Chicago in the States. and went back to Indonesia and worked there for some more years until... Uh, in the Vatican, they were looking for somebody to be in charge of the Office of Relations between Christians and Muslims. So I left Indonesia. I went to work uh, in in the Vatican for about 14 years. And uh, I stayed there for uh, about 14 years, as I said. And then afterwards, they were we we set up a, a, a program of uh, exchange with uh, the universities in Turkey. The Turks would send uh, somebody to Rome to teach Islamic studies, and they sent me from the Vatican uh, to Turkey to teach Christian studies in Turkish uh, theological institutes. So I did that for, oh, I guess about, uh, it must have been about six, seven years. And, uh, um, and then the Asian bishops were looking for somebody in charge of their office, so I, I was anxious to go back to Asia, and I and I did. So that was my first time staying in Thailand. Did that for a while, and then uh, 
Then the last thing I did, uh, second last thing, was uh, I taught at Georgetown University's campus in Qatar. I've taught both Christian studies and Islamic studies in the religion department. And then uh, about two years ago, we uh, were opening this new school in northern Thailand, and I was asked to be part of that, and that's where I am now. So Thailand, if for those who may not know, is a country there. there is a vast religious diversity. So when you started and when you began your mission, was it a different environment back then versus now regarding interfaith dialogue? Well, m- most of my life I've been involved with Muslims, whereas uh, Thailand is a uh, Buddhist-majority country, and so that's something uh, a bit new for me. When I was working for the a- Asian bishops, though, our office uh, was in charge of promoting dialogue not only with Muslims but with Buddhists and Hindus and Confucians and others. So I'd had the, this experience of of working with uh, Buddhists, organizing meetings with them and that, so it's not not something completely new. But of course, the environment is different from when I was uh, living and working uh, uh, with Muslims. I, I guess the long and short of it is that I, I, I'm just uh, amazed at uh, of how how God has spread God's grace around the world, not not only among Christians, but among people of other religions, among Muslims, among Buddhists. Uh, you see people acting in ways that are that are really uh, bearing the kind of fruits that Jesus uh, said we should be looking for. And uh, so it's not just Muslims or it's not just Buddhists, but, but God acts where God wants and God does what God wants. Do you feel that when religions and when people of faith can connect and can find ways to create dialogue about what really drives their focus, but also what they share. Do you see that there's been a correlation between interest in supporting that kind of all-in-together outcome in countries where dialogue and when religious plurality are encouraged? I'm really not using the word dialogue so much anymore. Uh, it, it tends to give the impression of, of, of people sitting down around a table discussing issues. I think much more important is how we how we work together to build up the values of a, of a common humanity, how we work together for peace, how we work to, together to defend those who are weak and vulnerable and um, mistreated or discriminated against, how we uh, try to serve those uh, in, in need, whether they're, they're sick or whether through education or whether through disabilities. Uh, these are the kind of things that I think we have to do together. Now, we have our motivation as Christians for doing this. Our our Christian faith tells us this is the way we should act. But Muslims have their motivation for for, for doing the same thing as do Buddhists and and others. I know others less, but uh, certainly uh, in Asia, we see Muslims who are committed to, to the cause of defending the rights of of women and children who are working for education, a kind of an education especially for the poor and the underprivileged, who are who are trying to to serve those who are sick. These are our natural our natural companions, our natural co-workers. See, I think one of the things we have to do in every society 
is to try to see who are our natural partners. Uh, this, this is the first thing. Identify the groups with whom we, we share values, the groups with whom we, we, we can work for specific goals. That's the case whether you're in talking about the United States or whether you're talking about Thailand or Indonesia or, or wherever. So you yourself, and you said this earlier, you were a founder of the Xavier uh, Learning Community, and that's in Chiang Rai in Thailand. Can you talk a little bit about what went into actually creating the Xavier Center? Yeah. In Thailand, we have about uh, 30, 35 Jesuits, but we never had a school of our own. We worked with uh, students as student chaplains and giving retreats and, and formation programs and that. But we never had our own school until our numbers kind of got um, grew a bit. And so some of the younger Jesuits said, well, we think it's time to open our own school. So we looked around to see, well, where could we really make a difference where we could open a, a school that would really uh, contribute something new. And we focused on the ethnic minorities, the so-called hill tribes. Now, these are people on the border with uh, Myanmar and Laos in the very northern tip of Thailand. And uh, in, in many ways, they, they find discrimination. They, um, many of their villages still lack uh, infrastructure, electricity, and running water, that kind of thing. Also, when they go to the cities, they... they uh, they often get paid less for the same work that uh, Thais would receive. They uh, get discriminated against in schools and health services and that. Uh, a really sad thing that, that came about in the last 15 years or so, many, many of them, the young people, would leave their villages because of lack of work or opportunities there. They'd go to the cities and the boys would get the lowest, dirtiest jobs, you know, in construction and and be living in, in just kind of survival poverty. And very often the, the, the young women would would get lured into the, the sex industry, and which is quite, uh, quite strong in central uh, Thailand. So for years, the church had been looking for ways to, uh, alternatives, to, to find ways that, that, that uh, maybe these students could make a good living in their own region. So we, uh, we started this school. It's a four-year baccalaureate program leading to a baccalaureate major in English, a minor in one of three subjects, uh, hospitality and tourism, our health services, our um, teaching. Teaching English is a second language. So what we then, are, our students are from the ethnic minorities, the hill track people, um, Karen, Aka, Mong, Lisu, Lahu, and we're trying to give them uh, possibilities of, of a good life, you know, and, and it's, uh, we're, we're getting good connections from the Jesuit nest network of universities, especially in Asia, Sophia University in Tokyo, Sanada Dharma University in Indonesia, Univers Ateneo de Davao in, in the Philippines. Uh, right now we have uh, five of our students in Australia, working uh, in Sydney to, to learn how to run a restaurant. They're working at a, at a Mexican restaurant, uh, of all places, in Sydney, uh, and uh, learning the techniques, the accounting, then, and all that goes into to running a restaurant. So it's, it's, it's really an exciting thing. 
We Our model, of course, as, as Jesuits, is the reductions, the old reductions of Paraguay and Bolivia, where we, we all live together, we work together, we study together, we pray together. Uh, we just we do everything together. Our students are not supposed to just be getting an academic degree, but they do the farming, so we're self-sufficient in rice and uh, vegetables. We have the largest hydroponic facility for lettuce and, and vegetables in northern Thailand, and so we're trying as much as possible to be uh, self-sufficient and sustainable. We have a new resource now, uh, an elderly lady, Thai lady, gave us about a month ago a, a whole new, uh, about 20 acres of forest land in uh, not, not too far from our place. And we, and we hope to make that into the second campus, a campus for tourism in ecology and e ecotourism, agrotourism studies, and, uh, and bring people there and, and let that become kind of the, the, the source of learning about uh, forestry, forest preservation, forest development, that kind of thing. Because all of the villages in, of, of our people, they're all, they're all in the middle of forests. They're cut out of forests. So if they learn how to, to really make use of these without destroying them, but also to benefit from them, it's a, a very important thing for uh, these communities. In line with that, in the being sustainable, self-sufficient, but also relying on the land, um, you know, the Pope most recently, about a year ago, put out a new edict about sustainability, about environmental awareness. Do you think that the Xavier Learning Center and what you're doing and looking to bring about, yes, ecotourism, but an awareness, is that something that is, has come out of this response, or has it always been a part of Thai culture, is to be aware and be respectful of, of, of the nature around you? Yeah, it has always been uh, a part, especially of the, of the Karen uh, people and the Karens in, in uh, northwest uh, Thailand. They've always seen themselves, and they call themselves the friends of the forest. But our particular program really came as a direct response to the Pope's encyclical Laudato Si. We thought, well, we're a new school. We should really take this up and make this a central part of our, of our work. And so we've, we've done so. So we're starting uh, on this new piece of property that I, I talked about, the Center for the Study and Preservation of Forest Land of, of Northern Thailand. We want to just uh, put up so, some, some cottages where students can come and we can, we can invite experts to come and talk about this to, to uh, create walk paths because we have quite valuable uh, timber on the property uh, teak wood, the Siamese rosewood, which is even more valuable, but it's a beautiful forest land and uh, the, the kind of place also people can come for spiritual retreats and just commune with nature. So that that's a really exciting uh, project that we have now. Now, you mentioned that there wasn't or isn't a very large presence of Jesuits in Thailand. Would you be able to kind of describe or explain as to why that, that is or what the history of the Jesuit order in Thailand is? Thailand was never one of our places in, in modern times. If we go back to the 16th century, the Jesuits had a parish and also a college in Lopburi. This was way back in the um, 1500s. And then in Ayutthaya before it was destroyed. And then there was a long period, no Jesuits. 
But uh, we did have Jesuits in China. And when the, the Jesuits were expelled from China, the Spanish Jesuits in 1949, some of them came to Thailand. And then when the American Jesuits of the Maryland province were expelled from Myanmar or Burma, as it was then, they came to Thailand. So this was the, the modern uh, start of, of Jesuit work. We, we, didn't, we have a retreat house in Chiang Mai, so northwest Thailand. We have a, a center for students in Bangkok. We have a number of people working at the National Seminary in Sampran. And that's it. So we never really had had much because they were mostly foreign, and we had very few Thai uh, vocations. Now that's changed in the past, say, 15, 20 years, where we have a lot of young Thais. And so with these young Thai Jesuits, we can really do a lot more, of course. So that that's, they were the ones really that said, yeah, it's time for us to have a, have a school. So you mentioned earlier in our conversation that a lot of the work that you yourself are doing, and as well as other Jesuits, is creating bridges of understanding between Christians and Muslims and, and Buddhists and other communities in, in Thailand. In your talk here at ACMCU, you mentioned the Asian Muslim Action Network. Would you be able to go into a little bit about what that is and how that got started? It's an organization that I, I really love. They, they started in 1990, and it was a group of uh, progressive Muslim thinkers, people like Abdurrahman Wahid uh, of Indonesia, Chandra Muzaffar from, from Malaysia, Ali Asghar, engineer from India, Imtiaz Yusuf from Thailand. And they said, we, we really need an organization where we can work for progressive causes. So they formed this association in 1990, and they've been working since then. They Every year they have a peace studies course. They've been one of the few organizations in among Muslims that, that really has highlighted the whole need for uh, care for HIV and AIDS sufferers. They, they are very strong on the whole issue of, of women's rights and women's promotion in society. They give a lot of scholarships for students and young scholars to pursue their, their studies. They, they exist in 16 countries in Asia, including places like uh, Afghanistan and uh, China, where we in the, in the Catholic Church don't have much of a, a presence. So we've been working with them really from the beginning. I remember they invited Jesuits to their opening meeting in Dhaka, in 1990, and so from the from the beginning, we've 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 been with them. See, the thing that's interesting is, they told me this was even before 1990. Must have been in the late 1880s. Abdurrahman Wahid said, "All of us, we have to really identify those groups in society with whom we can work." I mentioned this at the beginning of my talk. So even as we are doing this, as, as Christians, they're doing that as, as, as Muslims also. And so we, we really found it a natural fit. Muslims, of course, are especially uh, interested in the, uh, the fate of Rohingya people who are being so badly treated in Burma. And of course, the new issue now is the Uyghur people of China in Xinjiang. We Christians are also also concerned about the uh, situation of Christians when they are in a, in a minority, things like the blasphemy law in, in, in Pakistan. And together we have this whole concern about the, 
the ethnic minorities. Uh, all of our students are, are, are in ethnic minorities. They're not Thais, they're not uh, Burmese, they, uh, they're other group of people, and we have to really support their aspirations to be full, fully members of their nation. Do you think that challenges posed by either uh, policies or regime, uh, you know, institutions that are trying to create more of a control on certain groups that some may see as the other, do you think this push against the, the you know, the well-being of all, despite someone's background or religious belief, do you think that, you know, in a way helps to bring people together as a, as a way of going against this kind of push and, and maybe hopefully could bring about as a result a more verdant, peaceful and, and an open uh, society. Do you, do you see that happening? Yeah, exactly. What we're working for is, you know, we don't want to emphasize minorities or majority-minority conflict or our, our, our tension. We want to work for a, a society where the whole, uh, whole idea of the minorities is, is irrelevant. It, it, it's uh, it, it doesn't become an, an, an issue. Uh, now, we still have to work towards that. We have to find ways to work towards that. One of the obvious ways of working towards it is making sure that the rights and the dignity of any group, no matter whether they're a majority or minority group, are, are, are respected. And so that's that's one of the things that we're trying to do together through education, through the the work in the media that we that we carry out and the like. So another thing you mentioned in your talk was Jesuits among Muslims, or JAM, and how this group is creating and fostering the kind of understanding, awareness, and cultural connections that allow for there to be a sense of commonality in both Asia and around the world. Would you be able to talk a little bit about JAM and what it's been doing and how it's formed? The idea goes back to Father Arupe in 1980. For the first time, he called together those Jesuits who were involved with, with Muslims, either in Islamic studies or involved pastorally, you know, working together with Muslims as, as co-workers. And he called us to Rome, and his point was, in most countries, we don't have more than, than one, or we, we'd be lucky to have two people involved in this, but generally there's like one in each country. There'll be one in Indonesia and one in Malaysia, one in Thailand, that sort of thing. And so he felt that, that really we, we could learn a lot from each other to see what each other are doing. You know, we, we think, well, I, we could try that and to encourage each other in this. So we started back in 1980, I was in charge of it personally for, oh gosh, a long time. Uh, now I just uh, am one of the, one of the elderly members. Actually, it's most of the work is done by the younger, younger Jesuits, but we still get together regularly to uh, kind of coordinate activities, see what we can do together that goes beyond any particular nation, to study issues together to study documents uh, put out by Muslims or put out by the church to see how we can implement them in, in the work that we do. So we have a lot uh, to study uh, together, a lot, to, a lot to talk about. And right now we're preparing in Asia this uh, consultation with, with Amman on minorities. So this is like would be one of the typical um, projects that we would have. For those who may want to get involved, to learn more, to try and understand, to try and 
you know, even be directly involved in the work that you're doing, what would be a, a good way for folks who may, you know, may not be Jesuits, but who have a passion for interfaith dialogue and building uh, understanding? Uh, what would be a, a direction that you could give to allow folks to be able to participate and learn? We Jesuits, you know, are, are not all that numerous, so that uh, maybe not everybody is in is in a city or in a location where uh, Jesuit activities are going going on. But I would say that in every, at least in the Catholic Church, in every diocese, there should be uh, a committee and an association of those who are involved in in inter interfaith things. Certainly, here in Washington, there's a there's a very active group that that you would find any anywhere, and people I, I think should have no no excuse for saying, well, there's nothing going on in our area. If you look for it, uh, there really is already a lot going on that people just need to kind of plug into and find out. There's usually even a variety, wide variety, whether it's uh, whether it might be something like. English classes for for immigrants, or it might be might be helping people with with uh, documents, or it might be um, the food bank. You know, the Muslims have been very active in food banks in many parts of the United States. I think places like St. Louis and Chicago, they are the the largest contributors to food banks uh, for the poor. So there's a lot of these different kinds of uh, activities that are going on that it doesn't it's not doesn't take really a lot of work to find find them out, so I'd say don't don't limit yourself say in, in, to to anything that Jesuits are doing. We're we're just one small community within the church who are trying to do something about it, and the Catholic Church is is just one aspect of of, of the Christian response to interreligious dialogue. Some of the other churches are are also very active in in, in doing lots of good work. So the idea is to see, as, as I said before, let's identify in, in our society, in our locality, who's doing the good work and how can we work together with them. Well, well thank you so much for spending the time talking with us. We wish you the best on the work that you and your, and your group are doing. We look forward to hearing from you more and we'll keep an eye on the news to see what wonderful things come about. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Building Bridges, brought to you by ACMCU. Follow us on Twitter at ACMCU and like our Facebook page at acmcu.georgetown. Feel free to submit any questions and tune in for upcoming episodes.